Greetings and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. As always, it's me, Michael Shibley, the ace of Tennessee Sports Podcasting here for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. As always, of course, like, subscribe, share, five-star reviews wherever you get your podcast. Again, the enthusiasm, it's taking a little bit to get in there because, again, I've got to go, and I wish I didn't have to talk about this to lead off the podcast for the second week in a row, but Tennessee suffers another stupefying loss. Tennessee is 0-2 for the first time since 1988, losing to BYU 29-26 in double overtime after essentially giving a game away that they controlled for 59 minutes and 43 seconds. I mean, the, the BYU quarterback... Gets the pass. There's 17 seconds left. It's third and six or something like that with the clock running from their own 20. And they get rid of the ball. Passes to a wide-open guy because Tennessee defensive back Alante Taylor committed the most... The cardinal rule that you know from any time you've grown up playing football, you've covered people, you never, ever, ever in that situation let someone get behind you. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what happened, but of course, you can't get all on Taylor on that. Yes, that was the first bad thing, but then Nigel Warrior just completely missed the angle on it and just completely missed the tackle. And of course, that let BYU get all the way down into field goal range. They made the kick barely, just inches on that kick. My goodness. And then Tennessee falls in overtime as BYU just was able to take advantage of just the Tennessee mistakes and everything that happened. You look at all the other stuff that goes through there, though. Yes, the biggest thing that everybody's going to pay attention to and look at is the the busted coverage and letting the guy get behind him. And yes, you can ride them a lot on that. Trust me. That is just a huge error. However, through the course of this whole game... Tennessee's offense did so much to put the defense in a position where one screw-up was going to cost them the game. And that's what happened in this situation. Now, of course, we'll dive into a lot more about everything else that happened, more details in the game, coming up on Friday's podcast where uh, Trey Pack and I break down, of course, way more in-depth of Tennessee and everything else that happened in college football. But my goodness... It was just frustrating to look again at how bad Tennessee's offense was once you got into the red zone. You look at, they probably left 18 to 20 points probably on the board because of just bad execution. They were great up until you get to the red zone or wherever, uh, you know, Zemiglia's field goal range is. And he was automatic. It's great that Tennessee, at least at this point, seems to have a reliable kicker, but when you're kicking field goals and not scoring touchdowns, that's when you run into things. I mean, thank goodness for Juwan Jennings because the two touchdowns Tennessee did make were both all Juwan Jennings. They were on a fourth and five, and Garantano looked like he was throwing to Wood Anderson. That's where he was going with that ball. And my goodness, it was deflected, and Juwan Jennings got it. And then the touchdown in overtime that Tennessee got, that ball was very likely going to be intercepted, but Jawan Jennings just bullied the ball away from the defender. So thank goodness Jawan Jennings was there. And again, when you look at everything overall as a game as a whole, Tennessee played far, far better 
in this BYU game than they did against Georgia State. But again, you have two games where Tennessee, by far the most talented team on the field, and should win the game, and they just didn't for slew of reasons. Really, mostly the Georgia State game I put on the coaches for a lot of just not getting them ready and in the right mindset for that game. The BYU game I put a lot on the players. You look at Garantano is just not seeing the field. And that was one of the things when you bring in an offensive coordinator like Jim Chaney, he's somebody who just makes quarterbacks so much better. I mean, look what he did when he was here at UT with Jonathan Crompton and and, and things like that and Tyler Bray. It was amazing to see what he was able to do with those guys. And yet Garantano almost seems to have regressed. I don't know if it's something in his head thinking, He's got to get rid of the ball faster because of everything that he got beat up with last season with the offensive line or what, but he's just he missing open throws. The, the touchdown that they had or could have had right before the half, if he gets rid of that ball when he probably should have, when everybody else in the stadium saw it and said, get rid of it, and he waited too long, it gave the defense of BYU a chance to make a play on the ball, and they did. That could have been a surefire and probably should have been a surefire touchdown, and it just wasn't. Or the interception that he had at the beginning of the third quarter, which really just changed so much momentum in that game because the next play, BYU runs a simple draw play and gets a touchdown out of it. But he throws into triple coverage when you look, and he's going for Wood Anderson, the tight end, and then you look, and Palmer's wide open. And then you also look at, again, the the short yardage that Tennessee had, the short yardage plays were just awful. Tennessee just couldn't produce anything. I mean, we went for, for on fourth down so many times and just couldn't come away with anything. And they couldn't even get a yard. And when you're lined up and can't do that, you're in trouble. Especially when you look at what's coming up on the schedule. My goodness, you look at so many of these things. The bottom line to me is... This team, and again, this is not just this year. It is something that has worn away and has been withering away for a long, long time. But Tennessee is just a team that just now does not know how to win football games. I mean, you, you look at the past. You look, as you're, if you're a longtime Tennessee fan like myself, you look at teams coached by Johnny Majors and Philip Fulmer. And, just, and you've seen them play mediocre to awful games. Especially you look at that streak they had against Vanderbilt or against Kentucky. A lot of those games where Kentucky or Vanderbilt probably should have won a lot of those games. Or at least some of them occasionally. But Tennessee would just come out and find a way to grit your teeth and win those football games. And that's just something that Tennessee has lost the ability to do. And it's a rotting core that has been happening for a long time. You could almost go all the way back to when Mike Hamilton pretty much forced out Philip Fulmer. You could go all the way back that far. But just the coaches and the bad coaching hires we have made since then, and it's been rotting at the core and the foundation of this program. And that's one of the big things you have to look at. And one of the things, too, that people are pointing at, this is going to take a long time to fix. Nick Saban's not walking through that door. He's about the only one who can probably get Tennessee back to winning respectively in a year, and he's not leaving Alabama anytime soon. That's not happening. And anybody you get, I mean, you look at the last coaching search and with guys who 
they offered the job to a lot of people with big head coaching experience and they didn't want it or weird circumstances happened. So you get someone like Jeremy Pruitt, who is a first year, you know, in his second year as a head coach, first time ever being a head coach, and he's going to make first time head coach mistakes. And that's something that you see. But I am not pulling the trigger on Pruitt. There's a couple of reasons for that. One, just pure math. We're still paying Butch Jones a lot of money to not coach this football team. And then if you get rid of Pruitt and his staff, I think the buyout's somewhere around $15 million. Then you say you want to just back up the dump truck full of money to some big-time experienced coach, whoever that may be. Then you have to pay them, say, $10 million a year, plus whatever they want on their staff. That's a lot of money. Now, if some anonymous donor gives Tennessee $100 million and says, find somebody, if you want it. But, again, you've got these guys. So much of it goes down to now the back end of the season. That's where it boils down to. Chattanooga, and God help us if we lose to Chattanooga, but that should be a really good win one hopes for crying out loud. I'm going to be at the game. But we're staring a 1-6 start right in the face right now. But you look at the back end of this schedule. Tennessee, of course, a lot of things on the table. The goal was still to go to a bowl game. Going 0-2, especially against two teams you should have won against, you are looking at a 1-6 start with, after Chattanooga, you've got Florida, you've got Georgia, you got Mississippi State, you got Alabama. You're going to have to go to go bowling now, say you beat Chattanooga and you beat UAB, who won their conference last year, you win those two non-conference games, you're going to have to go 500 in the SEC. Now again, that establishes, if you want to do it, how much Tennessee's going to do on the back half of their schedule. South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. These are teams that when you look at historically, that's how Tennessee kept going to all these bowl games for so long they took care of business against Missouri well Vanderbilt and Kentucky definitely but they took care of South Carolina and now you add in Missouri those are the teams you take care of and beat without really having to sweat it too much and then you get back to that respectability you look at Fulmer you look at his second season you go back historically 1994 Tennessee started one and three Jeremy Colquitt out for the year. He'd waited so long behind Heath Schuler, and then all of a sudden, his knee gets torn up, and then Todd Helton, future baseball Hall of Famer Todd Helton, playing quarterback for him behind him, Brandon Stewart, and a young guy named Peyton Manning. I don't know whatever happened to him. We're behind him. But Tennessee loses at UCLA. They lose against Florida, Mississippi State. They somehow beat Georgia. That was Todd Helton and the team just rallying because back in the 90s, Tennessee was just going to beat Georgia. That was automatic. That was what was going to happen. But then Manning started against Washington State, and Tennessee was able to turn things around. So you look at all of this. You look at, I don't know what to do with Garantano. Do you start him? It looks like they say he's going to start against Chattanooga. I really, 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 really hope that Tennessee gets out to a big league and you can let some of these young kids play. And some of the young kids have been the ones playing great, by the way. In all of this, a lot of the freshmen, a lot of these guys are getting some really good looks. Henry Tuoto is looking great on defense. You look at Gray on offense. Some of these guys are showing some bright spots. That's why, again, you can't just get rid of Pruitt at this point, too, because you're just going to stay in the same terrible cycle of mediocre coaching and all these different things. At this point, 
let it play out for a few seasons. Let him get his guys in here because I really do think he's going to be able to turn this thing around and get Tennessee back to where it wants to be competing and fighting for championships. The BYU game I can see is a loss. BYU is at least... They haven't been as top as they've been before, but BYU is still a solid team overall. It's the Georgia State loss that's going to sting for a long, long time. That's going to be a punchline for a while, and we're just going to have to take our medicine and deal with it. So Tennessee's just going to have to go with it. If you're going to start a new quarterback, that's fine. Don't do it at Florida. Don't, don't do it. If you were going to start one, get their first start against Chattanooga. It doesn't look like they're going to do that. So don't do it next week as Tennessee travels to the swamp. That's the, you know, the Peterman experiment all over again. Bad idea. Don't do that. So we'll have to wait and see where the season takes us. And, of course, Trey Pack and I are going to break down so much more of everything. But here, a couple more general observations that I've saw, seen going through the rest of College Football Week 2. LSU is definitely now a playoff contender. What a great game they had against Texas. Joe uh, Burrow had come up big. It looks like LSU finally able to throw the ball. They don't have to rely on Leonard Fournette and Darius Geis and the running backs and just being so vanilla on offense. I think the only time before it was, what, Metzinger, whatever his name was, they had that one good year where he was quarterback, but he also had Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. to throw to, two couple of damn good wide receivers. So you had that. But it looks like LSU could be a big contender. Of course, everything's going to point to that November 9th game at Alabama. So we'll have to wait and see there. Texas, they played great. Their defense, both these teams can't call themselves DBU at this point. I mean, there was yards passing going everywhere. It was 45 to 38 for crying out loud. But Texas is not out of anything. Everything is still in front of them. And again, I think the playoff committee looks at if you're going to play someone difficult non-conference, that's the way to do it. So I don't think they're going to dash them too bad if Texas runs the table the rest of the way, wins the Big 12. They're going to be right in the playoff discussion for the rest of that. You look at Clemson and their win over Texas A&M. Trevor Lawrence has only been so-so. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been the world beater or the greatest college quarterback that some of these people say they've ever seen, at least in the first two games. Now, they're heading up to Syracuse from the last time Clemson was up there. They lost, which was not a great game that they played up there. Now, Clemson is coming off a Syracuse team that didn't do themselves any favor by getting blown out at Maryland. My mom's alma mater, you were wanting to fear the turtle at this point. They have looked so impressive. I mean, of course, you're going to blow out Howard by 70 points. But, I mean, what they score? 63? Something like that against Syracuse? My goodness. Mike Loxley has already tied his win total from when he was the coach at New Mexico. I think he was 2-26 and for the Lobos. So that seems to be doing really well for him. We'll see how Maryland, again, plays out the rest of the season. But they're looking good. Of course, they've got the back end of that Big Ten schedule. is Not good for the turtle there, but we'll have to see what happens with Maryland going forward. But it's off to a good start. I'd rather have Maryland start than I'd have Tennessee start. I'll tell you that right now. But Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked good, but... You know, Etienne, their running back, is looking great. And the defense played really well against a good Texas A&M team. So, again, I told you, they're rebuilding that defense. I'm never going to doubt Brent Venables and a defense. As long as he's a defensive coordinator anywhere, I'm not going to doubt them at all. A couple of other notes in the world of college football. Army should have beaten Michigan. You look at, 
everybody shows the highlight of where Army was, I think, at the six-yard line, and they were going in, and they were going to be up two touchdowns, but Army decides to throw a pass, and it's intercepted by Michigan. What a lot of people don't know is Army was at the one. Their fullback shifted, and it caused a false start penalty that moved them back. If Army was sitting at the one-yard line, you know they're running the football. If they go in and up two scores... That could be ball game. And Army, again, still had other chances to win the game. They missed a 50-yard field goal at the end of regulation. Jim Harbaugh made some weird decisions on fourth down where it's like, well, analytics said to do it, which, by the way, that's a have heard that too much from Butch Jones back in the day. Just go with your gut when it comes to so many of those things, especially against a team like Army who could run the clock out when you give them the ball with nine minutes left in the game. But, I mean, Army gave Michigan everything. They probably should have beaten Michigan when you look at it. FSU, Florida State could be in the same 0-2 hole that Tennessee is in. They were in overtime against Louisiana Monroe, and the only reason they won was because Florida State scored their touchdown in overtime, Louisiana Monroe scored theirs, but then their field goal kicker missed the extra point. And my goodness, you got they came all the way back to force overtime against Florida State at Florida State, and a missed extra point is what cost them the game. That is heartbreaking to see for the Warhawks. But again, it doesn't get any easier for Florida State. Probably the best team right now in the uh, in whichever division Clemson's not in, uh, in the ACC, Atlantic, Coast, I don't even know at this point. But they're playing at UVA, not looking good for Florida State next week. Probably the top game when you look at just excitement too was Colorado. Their comeback versus Nebraska. They don't play in the same conference every more anymore. But my goodness, that was a fun game. Colorado coming back. One of the big ones to start the comeback. A 96-yard flea flicker. Who calls a flea flicker when you're down at the four-yard line on your back end? You don't do that because if you screw up, my goodness, that's a really bad one. But it worked out for them. One thing you always have to talk about because Nebraska – was a very popular pick to win their division in the Big Ten. Scott Frost at this point, he's 5-9. and nine. It's the same record that Jeremy Pruitt has right now. And no road wins under Scott Frost at this point for Nebraska. We'll have to see what happens with them. Their quarterback, very uh, Martinez, high risk, high reward. He does a lot of great things, but he also still makes a lot of mistakes. So we got to pay attention there. Ohio State, looking a lot better than Michigan. I know I picked Michigan to win the Big Ten, But right now, if I had to change one pick, it would probably be Ohio State. We'll see. Again, as the season goes on, we're only in week two. But that Justin Fields-J.K. Dobbins duo in the backfield is looking awesome for Ohio State. They beat up a Cincinnati team that I thought could at least push Ohio State a tad, and that didn't happen at all. Meanwhile, uh, Keaton Slovis, I believe is his name. He is the quarterback at USC. My goodness, he had a game... They beat Stanford 45-20, to another game I thought was going to be very close, and that didn't happen. So congratulations to USC. We'll ha- see what happens there. They're playing Tennessee's favorite opponent, BYU, coming up this week, and that could be another fun one. We'll have to see. I'm favoring USC in that one, but still should be a very good and exciting matchup. A couple of really cool uh, matchups we've got coming up for week three, Washington State-Houston. That's on a Friday. That should be a lot of fun, a lot of points in that one. Looking over the schedule, Alabama and South Carolina. You would think 
that would be okay, but South Carolina just lost their starting quarterback, and also Kentucky losing their starting quarterback for the season. That's a tough break for two teams, but again, that opens the door for Tennessee to show some improvement. We'll see how, again, the season shakes up. We're only in week two, so everybody pump your brakes a little bit on a lot of this. Of course, Stanford-UCF, that game would have been a little bit more exciting had Stanford beaten USC like I thought they were going to do, but Stanford going all the way down to Orlando to play Central Florida. I've got Central Florida big in that one. Michigan State-Arizona State, that should be a fun non-conference matchup. A big contrast in styles as well. Probably one of my favorites for the week is going to be that Cyhawk Trophy battle. College game day going to Ames, Iowa for the first time ever as Iowa battles Iowa State. Bragging rights... Iowa has been getting the best of that one for, I think, the last five years. Are the Cyclones going to finally be able to get over the hump? We'll have to see. Florida and Kentucky. Again, Kentucky losing their starting quarterback. That's not good, especially because Florida lost to Kentucky for the first time, and it seems like forever last season. So you know Florida's going to be out for revenge in that one. Clemson-Syracuse, I mentioned that. Syracuse not doing themselves any favors by losing against Maryland. We'll have to see where that shapes up. Of course, I mentioned Florida State-Virginia. My goodness, it's not getting any better for Chip Kelly down in Los Angeles. Oklahoma comes calling. That one is not going to be pretty, I don't think. So that's a couple of the good games we've got coming up this week. And of course, again, we'll do some more detail on a lot of this stuff coming up on the Friday edition of Modern Day Gladiators, where we look in-depth at college football coming up for week three. But now we are going to take a break. Of course, you are listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. We've got shibbles and bits coming right up. But of course, every other show that we've got on the on the network, including Deadbeat Radio, DLC Respawn, Haffle, uh, Night Terrors, Scared Stupid, all these just awesome, awesome shows. You got to check them all out. Go to outlandermedia.net. And of course, there you can check all of them out. And of course, wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify, you can check everything out there. And of course, wherever you listen, please give us those five-star reviews. It's how we get out there into the world. We're taking it over, and we need your help to do it because, my goodness, we got some great stuff coming down the pipeline, so get ready to check out a lot of that. But again, we're taking a break. We'll be right back with Shibbles and Bits on the other side. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. Welcome back, friends and family. You hear the music. You know it's time for Shibbles and Bits. And, of course, it's also time to thank a couple of the people who have been great friends to us here at the Outlander Media Network. And, of course, that's Joe Shirt and Otherworldly Coffee. Joe Shirt, we got to thank them. As always, we've got some great merch coming out from Outlander Media. Just stay tuned. We're going to post all that stuff at outlandermedia.net. We're working with Joe Shirt to get it out. I've got some great ideas for some modern-day gladiator shirts. Can't wait for you guys to check them out. Of course, go to joeshirt.com, and they can help you. If you've got an idea for your brand, whatever that may be, your brand, your company, softball team, comedy troupe, 
uh, anything, family reunion. They've got some great, awesome deluxe shirts that they can get you guys. They're comfortable. If you're local here in Knoxville, they've got just some great rates. They ship to you for free here in Knoxville. So all of that is just wonderful and totally reeks of awesomeness. So check them out, JoeShirt.com. And, of course, you can check out Joe Shirt Deluxe while you're there as well, where you can get things like mugs and banners Anything else you think you've got an idea for a logo or something you want to put on something, Joe Shirt can help you out. Check them out, joeshirt.com. And, of course, head over to otherworldlycoffee.com. Check those guys out. They've got just great blends, all this great you know, sci-fi and mystery theater, Mothman blend and, and Bigfoot blend. They've got some great stuff there as well. I mean, my coffee drinking friends who've tried it, everybody at uh, Outlander besides myself, they've dug in and tried it. I'm just not a coffee guy. I, I don't even have a grinder. My mom has to keep her coffee grounds frozen in my freezer so they stay good the next time they visit. That's how much I drink coffee. But from what I've heard from everybody else at Outlander, it's amazing. Check them out. They're great blends of coffee. They'll get you going. But again, head to otherworldlycoffee.com and when you place your order, use the code OUTLANDER and that's going to give you 20% off your order, which is going to cover more than shipping and taxes. So check that out. Just a great thing for them. And again, Thanks to Joe Shirt and Otherworldly Coffee for being great friends here at Outlander Media. Moving on to Shibbles and Bits, as I've plugged and talked about all the other great stuff we've got. Let's go, of course. We talked college football. Let's talk NFL real quick. Of course, we've got my power rankings coming out. And how are you not going to have the New England Patriots as the number one team if you had to rank them coming out of week one of the NFL my goodness, they demolished the Steelers, and now they're going to get Antonio Brown, who, of course, had another complete blow-up, which is just stupid and, and moronic and everything. He's He takes diva wide receiver to the extreme at this point. My goodness. So the Raiders cut him, and then he's signed by the Patriots. So we'll have to see how that goes. But, hey, it gives Tom Brady just a great, amazing target. I mean, the best wide receiver he's had since Randy Moss. That's not Rob Gronkowski, who's technically a tight end. So you look at all of that, the Patriots are number one. The Chiefs, they looked great. And number two, taking care of the Jacksonville Jaguars, though they're not going to have Tyreek Hill for a little while. So we'll have to see how that goes. But they still looked great there. The Saints, what a great game they had against the Texans, hitting that field goal at the gun to win that game. They're at my number three spot. You got the Eagles looking good, getting going. The Rams look great. The Cowboys looking great, taking apart the Giants. Ezekiel Elliott, good to have him back. And hats off to former Vol great Jason Witten, just returning to the field after a one-year retirement, just scoring a touchdown. It was amazing to have him there. It's the only thing I like about the Cowboys is Jason Witten. The Ravens, Lamar Jackson, my goodness, scoring points and running all over the place. That was great to watch. I've got the Ravens at my seven spot. The Chargers eking out the win over the Colts. If it wasn't for Adam Vinatieri having a really, really bad day, uh, you've got the Chargers getting the win there. The Vikings running the ball old school. I've got them at number nine. Packers at 10, the Seahawks playing defense again at 11, and then the Titans I've got at 12. My goodness, they beat the tar out of the Browns, who did a lot of talking in the offseason. I talked about this before the Browns are gonna have to show it to me and they did nothing to show me anything they're whether as Trey even said bound for the Super Bowl yeah like they're gonna go over the the Chiefs or the Patriots at this point let alone anybody else in the AFC my goodness they looked terrible in their opening round uh win 
or loss. Wow, they got destroyed by the Titans. Hats off to the Titans. They came to play, and it was great <laughs> to have the Titans guys like, they are who we thought they were, which was nothing. So hats off to the Titans going into my number 12 spot. I, I go to 12 because it gives you at least a general idea of who I think is going to make the playoffs. So there we have it. Speaking of playoffs, the U.S. Open just finished in tennis, and hats off to Canadian Bianca Andreescu for defeating Serena Williams. Again, denied her chance at tying Margaret Court for uh, top 24 Grand Slams to be on that list. Andreescu... 6375. It's her first ever Grand Slam title in her first ever appearance in the U.S. Open. She's only 19 years old. She's the first tennis player who was born in this century to win, which again keeps making me feel really nice and old. So appreciate that. But she looked amazing. And my goodness, it was a great moment. She won that first set going away 6 3. She was up 5 1 in the second set with championship point on her racket. And then Serena was able to rally and get it back to 5-5. And you know that that crowd was heavily in favor of Serena Williams. And Andrescu was able to rally herself. Just she aced Serena a a few times in uh, the next game to get it to 6-5. And then won at 7-5 to win her Grand Slam. So congratulations to her. I don't know if Serena's going to have a chance to even win another Grand Slam. She's come so close. I think this is her fourth runner-up finish. In, the, in just as many of them, and my goodness, she has just not been able to get it done and lost to four different people as well. Meanwhile, someone who continues to dominate, Rafael Nadal, winning his 19th Grand Slam. Another great match he had. He defeated uh, Medvedev from Russia. He was in charge. Nadal was in charge, 7-5, 6-3. But then Medvedev came all the way back to fourth, that fifth decisive set. Um, 5-7-4-6-6-4. Another great match. One of the best U.S. Open finals we've ever seen. That was amazing. A four-hour and 50-minute match. My goodness, you think college football games are long. That was a marathon of a match. Fourth U.S. Open championship for Nadal. He's now one behind Federer overall with 19 Grand Slams. And he's also distanced himself a little bit from Novak Djokovic. A couple of other things going on in the world of shibbles and bits. Jamaican, The Jamaican women's soccer team has announced that they will not play another match for the Federation until they are paid what the Fed owes them. My goodness, this is a story. Hey, you're going to play for your country and you're promised something. Uh, pay them. You know, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Give them the money that they're owed. And my goodness, they said they're, you know... They say they're committed to doing it, and they haven't paid them. That's one of the issues you're running into. The Federation, if they don't have the money, but they promise them the money, it's just a a really interesting and just, you know, bad situation there for the reggae girls. Uh, Hopefully, they'll be able to get the money. Again, they looked, you know, pretty solid for a Caribbean team playing in their first ever Women's World Cup. And that includes former Lady Vol, Khadijah Bunny Shaw who was one of the leaders of this team and leading this movement to say, we're not going to play. So pay him the money. That's all I can say about that. Speaking of soccer, we move on to another quick soccer story. Um, this is a, he's a Belgian national. Um, he, he, he's a black player. Ro, Romulu Lukaku, I believe is how you pronounce that. He is playing his first season with Inter Milan and he, uh, had a penalty shot to get them up 2-1 in their last game to win it for Inter Milan. But the fan group that was there cheering on 
Inter Milan decided to make some monkey chants. For those of you who don't know, that is something you do not do to black players, no matter where you are. That is extremely racist. But the gall of the fan group there said that what happened was not racist by these ultra fans. They said, you know, please consider this attitude of Italian fans a form of respect instead of it being racist. No, 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 no. You can talk to any African-American person, anybody like that. You make a monkey chant at them, that's racist. So Europe, that's one of the big things that they've had an issue with for a long time, especially in European soccer, is the fact that they have never had a civil rights movement like we've had here in America. Could you imagine hearing monkey chants now in America? Oh my goodness, that would be just a storm of epic proportions. That would be just awful, awful to see. So they're going to have to fix that and see what happens there. But I wouldn't blame him if he doesn't want to play for Inner anymore after something like that. Meanwhile, moving to high school football. Ohio high school football player, he headbutts a referee. The video came out of that. This was just disgusting. It shows, again, some of these players just don't know how to control themselves at all. I know you have problems with umpires or officials, but my goodness, you don't headbutt him while you're wearing your... You don't have any violence against officials. These guys aren't getting paid anything at the high school level to do these games. You talk about, and we've talked about this before, participation in youth sports is down nationwide, and then now you're going to have... And this isn't the first instance of violence against officials that we've seen. You know, you've seen many reports on things like that. If youth participation is down, who wants to ref these kids if they're going to have that anger issue? That's just bad. I mean, they even called the game after that. They're like, no, no, no. The ref doesn't want to be out there with any more of that. Forget about it. Even though he was suspended and out, no. That's awful. You do not have things like that happen. That is just, again, terrible things. You don't want that happening around your sport. So, again, awful. Something better happening, we move to the college side of this uh, when you talk about football and other things. The the Fair Pay to Play Act, also known as SB 206, I believe, in California, uh, was voted unanimously through the California State Assembly, 72 to nothing. And it now moves on to the Senate, which it looks like it is going to pass. And then again, this is probably going to go onto the governor's desk. And if he signs it, then guess what? It's going to go into law. There is a three-year waiting period, so it wouldn't go into effect until January of 2023. But again, this bill is one that would make it illegal for colleges and universities in California to take away an athlete's scholarship or eligibility as punishment for an athlete profiting from his or her name, image, or likeness. We've talked about this before. It gives a, you know, hey, you want to monetize your YouTube channel? You do it. You want to have, you know, you're a, a, a Stanford All-American swimmer and you want to teach kids how to swim and use that likeness to make that while you're still under scholarship, you go ahead and do that. I think this is great. I think it's going to help the NCAA realize, instead of just doing their hollow threats of making all California schools ineligible, which is just not going to carry any water at all, I think this is great. I am looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with this, and I think it's going to make the NCAA finally realize, hey, let them make money off their own likeness. Don't pay them. Don't outright pay them, but let them use the profile that they have to do all of that. Monetize their podcast, monetize their Facebook page, monetize YouTube, 
sign some autographs at a car dealership for a, a, a hundred bucks. Let them take that game worn jersey, autograph it, and sell it to somebody for some money. I am all for that and can't wait to see what happens there. A couple of other issues we've got going on. Uh, my goodness, you talk about favoring different sports. You talk about the balance between college football and the other sports in the NCAA. Kent State, there was a uh, field hockey tournament that was happening on the Kent State campus. Uh, during one of the matches, it was Temple and Maine. They were scoreless, heading into double overtime. However, Kent State officials entered the field and informed the coaches that the game had to end because of the fire marshal regulations for the fireworks that were going to go off before the game uh, between Kent State and Kennesaw State at noon. Why are you having fireworks going off on a noon kickoff? That is beyond me. That is just weird. I mean, you can barely see them even with any type of sunlight at dusk, let alone at noon. That's just ridiculous. So anyway, what ended up happening was both coaches had agreed to it and the NCAA ruled it a scrimmage. But again, what both teams said was it's just where we're at with female sports, where you look at the balance of it, which was, again, just atrocious. It was stupid. Why are you even just... Uh, yes, the game went into double overtime, and that drives you nuts, but why are you even having fireworks at noon? It's stupid and ridiculous, and I know Kent State officially apologized, but the fact that you had to just burn it, and the game, a highly competitive game going into double overtime, and the fact that it ends up being ruled a scrimmage is just ridiculous, especially if Maine, who's ranked 24th in the country in women's field hockey, need needed a game like that, say, to get in to the NCAA tournament, that might be something big to look at going into the postseason. A couple of other quick bits, and then we'll get out and talk with the world of professional wrestling. This was funny. Uh, of course, you have the Tour de France that happens in France with the bicycle race that happens there. There's one uh, equivalent. It's the uh, Vuelta a España. It's the Tour of Spain. The cycling race was happening over the past week. Back on Saturday... They had the helicopter flying over, and they were driving through a, um, a town, and what ended up happening was the camera in the helicopter that's flying over, there's some buildings, they noticed a rooftop that had uh, 40 marijuana plants that were spread across two abandoned plots. The images uh, went viral, and the police in the area were sent over and did a raid of all the marijuana plants. Again, Spanish law does not penalize the cultivation of marijuana for self-consumption, though it does not specify how large a home plantation is allowed to be. So, again, they raided it because, again, 40 marijuana plants, that's a lot for even personal use, at least from what I have heard. So, you have that. This, I'm going to end Shibbles and Bits here with a really good story where Tennessee might be 0-2 and having a lot of problems on the football field, but off the field, they're doing some good things. Uh, this story has gone viral. A Florida boy who is a Tennessee fan, he was wearing a homemade Tennessee shirt during his school's college colors day. Uh, what ended up happening was he got bullied for it. He was just, he didn't have a straight up Tennessee shirt. 
So he had an orange shirt and he drew UT on a piece of paper and stapled it to his shirt where he was bullied and made fun of. And for someone who lived in Northwest Ohio through elementary school and just got bullied for wearing normal Tennessee stuff surrounded by Michigan, Ohio State and Notre Dame fans, I know where this kid is coming from. Now, I was quick and could run away from all the bullies because I had elementary school SEC speed that could beat out the elementary school Big Ten speed. So I had that advantage. But it was really cool, though, because departments across um, campus donated uh, items for the entire elementary school, but he got a bunch of UT swag. His teacher uh, brought the attention to the University of Tennessee, my beloved Vols. They sent him a bunch of great Tennessee swag, but then also what they did was they took the design that the kid did on the piece of paper. And there's pictures of it online. You can check it out. Uh, I've got a link to this story also on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page, so check it out there as well. But now you can order that shirt. They put the design on a shirt, and you can do it. Uh, It's topped 16,000 orders already as of when I got this article yesterday. So that is just great to see. Um, And then you look at all the sales. They are going to go to the uh, proceeds from some of the sales are going to go to the nonprofit Stomp Out Bullying. So that's just great to see. And again, um, something that is wonderful. It's doing good. And that's what you need to see where there's so much just crap that is so annoying in this world. And we've talked about a lot of it in the world of sports, even in this Shibbles and Bits segment. And now you've got something really good happening. And again, don't make fun of a kid. There's there's lots of reasons, trust me. Elementary school kids, so nice to each other. That hasn't changed in the 30-plus years since it's, I've been in elementary school. So it's really awesome to see, and I'm glad the kid's getting a bunch of swag. And they're doing something good with this because the product on the football field has not been good, so hopefully the Tennessee product off the field has been much, much better. Thanks for listening to Shibbles and Bits. We're moving real quick into the world of professional wrestling. Definitely not as much going on as it was last week in the world of professional wrestling. But it's all WWE talk this week as Raw and SmackDown have been in Madison Square Garden. Uh, So that's been exciting. The crowd has been hot. It's been into it. Of course, Raw ratings just came out as of this recording. Not good. Of course, they're going toe-to-toe with a doubleheader on Monday Night Football. You're not going to win that unless you're just going to get a new star. Even though Stone Cold Steve Austin was there and gave AJ Styles a nice stunner. Still, you're not going toe-to-toe with Monday Night Football. And Undertaker is going to be on SmackDown, so check that one out as well. Of course, this is the big push to the end of Clash of Champions that's coming up, happening in Charlotte, North Carolina. All the championships in the WWE, at least on the main roster, are on the line, including a couple of other matches, which is a little weird Usually you just have the championship matches, but we've got a couple more in there as well, including the King of the Ring final, which is going to be Baron Corbin versus either Chad Gable or Elias. It looks like Elias has a sprained ankle, so it's going to be Chad Gable versus somebody, I guess. I don't know. Whoever comes out on the SmackDown side, they're going to lose. It's going to be Baron Corbin because, yes... Yes, you take him off the pay-per-view for a couple months, and then you just reheat them. It's the same guy. He's still not going to make a splash or be a transcendent star, so just stop with Baron Corbin. But WWE is never going to listen to me at this point. Just stop it. But Baron Corbin's going to win. If he doesn't, I will be very shocked, and I will talk about that 
on the podcast. Roman Reigns also has finally found who tried to run him over and knock stuff onto him and severely injure him, and that was Eric Rowan, who even turned on his tag team partner and friend Daniel Bryan. So Roman Reigns will face Eric Rowan at Class of Champions. Also, now we go into the title matches. The Women's Tag Team Championship on the line. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross taking on Fire and Desire. Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. I don't know. I'm going to go with Bliss and Cross just hanging on to them. You flip a coin in that one. I'm going to go with the champions retaining there. Bailey versus Charlotte Flair defending her SmackDown Women's Championship. As much as I want... Sh- or think Charlotte's going to win, something tells me that Bailey's going to retain. So I've got Bailey retaining this because with her new edge and heel turnish stuff that she's been doing, I wouldn't pull the trigger on her losing the title just yet. So I've got Bailey retaining against Charlotte. Then you've got the Women's Raw Championship on the line, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks. I do have Becky Lynch retaining, though it's not going to be fully clean. Something weird is going to happen in that one, but I do have Becky Lynch walking away with the title. The Intercontinental Championship on the line. Shinsuke Nakamura taking on The Miz. I like where Miz's character is going with Sami Zayn. At least they're doing something with Shinsuke. I've got Shinsuke retaining as well. AJ Styles defending his United States Championship versus Cedric Alexander. I'm going to go with Cedric Alexander getting the upset in his hometown. So I've got Cedric becoming the new United States Championship. SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line. New Day versus The Revival. I've got the New Day retaining in that one. The Cruiserweight Championship on the line. Drew Gulak. Uh, In a triple threat match against Humberto Carrillo and Lince Dorado, I've got Drew Gulak retaining that championship. The Raw Tag Team Championship on the line. Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman, of course, are facing each other later. I'll get right to that. Defending against Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. I'm going to go with them losing the championship to another mismatch team of Roode and Ziggler, but why not? You're going to have a couple of title changes, I think, on this card including the WWE Championship on the line is Kofi Kingston defending against Randy Orton. I've got Randy Orton winning another championship in his long line of multiple world titles. I do have Randy Orton finally defeating Kofi Kingston and ending a good reign for Kofi as champion. Universal Championship also on the line as Seth Rollins takes on Braun Strowman. They are tag team earlier in the night, and now they're going to be going one-on-one for the Universal title. I do have Seth Rollins defending his title there. So, got all that. Of course, we'll follow all of that up next week on Modern Day Gladiators. We're going to take... Uh, we're going to... It's done. This should, the show... I'm just... Wow. A lot of information I have given all of you beautiful people out there here on Modern Day Gladiators. Of course, we'll break down more college football coming up on the Friday show of Modern Day Gladiators, myself and Trey Pack, so stay tuned to that one. But of course, we're going to break down all the wrestling and everything else going on in the world of sports every week here on Modern Day Gladiators. Until next week, I love you. Too sweet. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>